0: Thank you, musicians, for leading us in a good opening start this morning. Nice to have you back, Joel. Good to, good to see you again. Thanks, Stan and Dave and Becky and Hannah. So I've titled my talk this morning, Caught and Released. That's from that last song we were just singing. We're free, free. So, Rod, this isn't a fishing talk. So, okay, just to, to not to disappoint you. And I don't know but if you can see, the, the, go back one slide just for a second, Eve. I don't know if you can see, but there's something wrong with that foot there. It just doesn't look right. (laughs) Anyway, so I want you to imagine this morning that you're a dog. That's crazy, isn't it? But you can be any dog you like to be. You could be a big dog or a little dog. You could be this cute little puppy up here on the screen. And you're in their backyard. The backyard is a wonderful place. It's just got so many neat things in it. Different sights, different sounds, different smells. You enjoy the backyard. And you can even chase things. And there's that squirrel, that neighborhood squirrel. Pesky squirrel. I'm going to chase him. And you run, 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 run after the squirrel and almost get him. And all of a sudden, you're stopped. Dead in your tracks. What happened? You turn around. Oh, I forgot the leash. What would life be like in the backyard without the leash? So keep that in mind. Thought in mind as we go through this. So, we're starting a mini series in, in the great bigger series of the miracles of Jesus, and the series in, this, in the great bigger series of the miracles of Jesus, and this is uh, chronic disabilities. So, we've got together the three of us that are presenting this group, and we divide them up into three groups. So, Steve's going to look at people with blindness, we're going to hear from Jim about people who are deaf. And I'm going to get us moving with this group of people that have mobility problems. I call them in medical speak, neuroskeletal afflictions. So there are four miracles in this uh, group of people with mobility problems recorded in the Gospels. And and I'm sure there were many other people who were healed of these sort of things in Jesus' uh, ministry. But these are the four that were recorded. And it's worth giving us some thought as to thinking, well, why, why these four? What was the, what were the gospel writers trying to present when they recorded these four group of miracles? So I think our our plan this morning is to try and identify what their purpose was in recording them. I'm going to focus on just three of them this morning because four is a miracle one too far, I think, and maybe even three is a, <laughs> a bit of a heavy run. But we're going to try and look at three, and maybe we'll mention the fourth from if we have time. The first event we're going to look at is the well-known Sunday school story of the man that was paralyzed and he was let down through the roof. And we've all heard that story since we were little, I think, if we grew up in a church. It's quite a neat story. And it's recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and they all have their accounts of that. And it takes place in the town of Capernaum. Now, you remember that Capernaum is that small village on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter and Andrew and James and John lived. And it's where sort of Jesus made his base of operations for the for his Galilean ministry. It's uh, today is a pretty well explored archaeological site, and here's a picture. It's a bit dark for you, sorry, but that's a picture of the ruins at Capernaum, where the archaeologists have uncovered first century buildings, and that's sort of the street layout when Jesus walked there. And, uh, you know, the walls you can see were made of stone. They would have been taller at that time, but, of course, time has brought, worn them down. And we don't see any roofs on there right now because they're long gone. Right now, because they're long gone. The, the roof, if you can see that, this is a replica of a first century dwelling. And I don't know if you can really see it in that picture, but there's the, the roof that was recreated. A log, uh, rafters with sticks um, perpendicularly on top of those rafters. And on top of those sticks would be a layer of clay that would be hard, and that would keep the rain out. And it was also a useful place for for other things. So so they would use the roof for drying things, and they would even sleep up there on hot summer nights. So there was usually a stairway going up to the roof somewhere so that you could use the roof as part of the uh, living space. And to tear apart the roof, you would mean to take apart those rafters uh or take part the, the sticks and the clay and make a space between the rafters so you could lower someone through that narrow space <coughs> just so yeah the next slide just so you know what I, I i'm i can relate to this guy on this med bed that was lowered through this is <coughs> this is me doing something crazy i'm the one on the on the snow bank there at the bottom <laughs> unable to walk and uh and maybe not quite miraculous, but all sort of things came together that day that were that were pretty neat. I had my cell phone. It wasn't flat. I didn't land on it and break it. I could call for help. Vicki answered. She got organized and brought all these helpers to help me. And uh, And they brought, bless them, these firemen have this, who knew, this rubber toboggan thing. I didn't know they had such a thing. And uh, they put me on there, and then they slid me out through the bush. I was telling them, no, turn here, turn here, go there. But they took me up to where they could get help, and I could get to a healer. And so I know what it's like to be carried by four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight guys. <laughs> anyway, so that was quite the day. Well, let's start our story off. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 is the account I'm looking at. Um, and I say it's in Matthew and, and Lucas. well. But so the story starts with Jesus coming back to Capernaum. He's been touring Galilee, and it's been quite a successful tour. He's become quite famous and well-known. So he's staying at a house in Capernaum. People hear that he's there, and they start coming to the house where Jesus is. And being Jesus, he just starts to teach the people that come. And then more people come, and then more people come. And even a group of the, of the Bible teachers of the day, the teachers of the law, they come and they get into the room too. So the room is filling up and more people come. And eventually there's not any room for anybody else to get in the room. And the doorways are getting crowded. The windows are even packed by people listening to Jesus. And then through all that come four guys carrying a mat with a paralyzed man on it. And they want to see Jesus. They want to get this guy to Jesus. But there's no way. They can't get through. There's not even room for a child to sneak through between all the legs. You know how kids can weave through a a crowd pretty neat. But there was no room. So how could four guys and a stretcher get in there? They must have been a bit discouraged. We can't get there. But then they thought, well, what about the roof? So they drag him up the steps. That must have been quite a ride up the steps. I'm glad my toboggan didn't go up the steps. (laughs) but they up the up the stairs and they start taking apart the clay and moving those sticks across i wonder which one of them remembered to bring the rope or maybe they just found some there anyway they tied on and they lower this mat down down in front of jesus perfect spot for the hole in the roof by the way they just got it right in front of jesus and jesus is impressed by their determination and their faith that they think that he can help them and he is He is impressed. And he looks down at this guy that's now in front of him. And he said, what is really unexpected. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Ah, I thought I was going to walk. Anyway, but the teachers of the law, they perked up their ears right away. He said, he just said he's forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. He's disrespecting God. This man is a sinner that's teaching. And, uh, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. And I think probably everybody in the room that could see their faces knew that they were angry and upset as well. So. But Jesus asked them a question. He says, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk? So, to prove that he could do that, he says to the man, to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins, he says to this man in front of him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, picked up his mat, and elbowed his way through the crowd, and everybody was amazed. They'd never seen anything like this before. Flip over one chapter to Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now we've moved to a different location. It's a synagogue. It's the Sabbath day, the Jewish day of of rest as laid out by the law. And it's interesting that of these four miracles that I mentioned, three of them happen on the Sabbath day. So that might that's of interest. But, so this one is at the synagogue. Jesus comes into the synagogue and sees there a man with a very deformed hand. Not a deformed ankle like the other guy had there on that picture, but a deformed hand. And he sees them. But he's also confronted by a group of enemies, these teachers of the law, these Bible teachers. They are there as well watching to see what Jesus would do when he sees this man with a need. And their idea was that if if he heals this man on the Sabbath, they can accuse him of Sabbath-breaking, law-breaking, of sin, and therefore discredit his ministry. Well, Jesus calls the man over to stand up in front of him so everybody can see. And then he asks the question to these guys that are are planning his demise. He says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath day or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy life? They got the same answer you're getting to me. Nothing said. They were just quiet. They didn't say a word. And Jesus, Mark says, was both angry and sad because of their hardness of heart. They wouldn't even engage him in a discussion regarding their rigid interpretations of the law. So he says to the man in front of him, Hold out your hand. That hand that he probably tried to keep hidden for most of his life because he was probably ashamed of it. He said, stretch out that hand. And as he did that, that hand was restored completely. We're not told of the audience reaction in this case, but the enemies of Jesus, they went out right away and started to plot how they might kill Jesus. Our next story is found in Luke chapter 13. Verses 10 to 17. This is only recorded in Luke's Gospel and maybe not as well known. But here we are at another synagogue on another Sabbath day. This time Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And he sees a woman who is bent double. And she's been that way for 18 years. If that patient came to our hospital, I would say she has ankylosing spondylitis which is a condition where the spine is fused in a bent flexed position. But Dr. Luke says that she has a spirit of infirmity. Jesus calls her over. And he says to her, you are set free from your infirmities. And he touched her and she straightened up the first time in 18 years. And she starts to praise God for that miraculous change in her life. But immediately she's rebuked and the others there are rebuked by the leader of the synagogue, one of the other of the Bible teachers, the teachers of the law. And he begins quoting the Bible letter and he says, you have six days to work, but you should rest on the seventh day and no work should be done. Jesus looks at him and says, you're a hypocrite. You don't practice what you preach. You have an ox or, or a donkey and this morning probably untied that donkey and you led that donkey to the water trough. So you released the donkey and took him to drink. And he says, isn't it right this woman be released from Satan on the Sabbath? The enemies of Jesus were ashamed by that remark, but the people rejoiced. So what were the purpose of these miracles that are recorded? Well, individuals were helped. These three people, and if we looked at the fourth one in John chapter 5, where another paralyzed man was healed as well, we would see that all of them lived changed lives after meeting Jesus, right? They all were better off. God was glorified. People praised God for these miracles. And Jesus ministry was uh, was enlarged. People heard about Jesus. They knew his teaching and more and more people were coming to hear him. But what is the purpose for recording these specific miracles? And what were they teaching us? And I believe they illustrate and confirm the main purpose of Jesus' ministry. Let's look at Jesus' stated mission statement just to get a Lewis, what we're talking in this way. And if you turn to Luke 4, 16 to 21, you'll read another account. This time we're going to Nazareth, Jesus's home village. And we're in the synagogue again, another synagogue. And it's the Sabbath day again. And Jesus comes into the synagogue and he stands up, volunteering to read the scripture. The people the kind of passes in the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll towards the end of the scroll. And he comes to these verses where we would call them verse chapter 61, verses 1 and 2 on the scroll. He just must have known where to go because they didn't have those. But he reads these this part of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendants, and sat down and said, today, this scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled. So there's Jesus saying, this is my mission. His ministry is underway. He's at work. He's proclaiming that he has come to bring freedom and release. And I believe these miracles that we've just uh, read and heard about are the physical demonstration of a deeper spiritual reality that's taking place in the lives of people and they illustrate this spiritual mission of Jesus. He didn't come to bring captive and, or to release and, and freedom from captivity from political oppression and Roman enslavement. He brought it he came to bring a, a spiritual release and that's pretty neat. So let's let's take a closer look at a few of the things that Jesus says in those miracles just to see if that fits with with what I've just been saying. So the first thing I want to look at is that unexpected line that Jesus says to the man who's laying there in front of him on his mat. he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well let's look at that word sin and sins for a second, and we know what it means. It means that uh, a misdeed somewhere where we've missed the mark, gone off track and we've done something wrong. but if you look at the word for sin in the, in the singular sense, it's always also, it's also used as the, meaning a destructive and evil power which holds people in captivity and Paul often used that word the same word in the same in that way when he wrote to the Romans and to the Galatians and he said things like sin sees the opportunity to condemn us so he personifies this sin it's just, it's a a word that has this connotation of a destructive and evil power which holds people in captivity what about the word forgiven we quickly read that word and we think, okay, those misdeeds that they've done have been taken care of. But if you look at the word that's used here, it has a primary meaning to release or to let go. So the idea being that you're released from your debts, you're pardoned. That's why we get the word forgiveness from it. But that primary meaning to release is that it's the same word that Jesus read in Luke chapter 4 when he said, my ministry was come to release the captives. He he didn't say forgive, he said release in that situation. So the word has that meaning as well. It has that connotation. So we we have a, a an evil power and, and a release from that power. And then let's look at the word son there. And we've been singing about that this morning, and we've been hearing about it in first service. Thank you, Joe, for, for uh, uh, just going over my message for me here, but Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's an intimate relationship already established. Jesus is saying to this man, you're a child of God. You're a son. And that, that metaphor is expanded in other parts of the scripture where we see the, the, the transformation from slave to children and how God moves us from slavery to being his children. And so I think in this very odd thing to say, it must have seemed at the time, is a very important clue that Jesus is talking about a spiritual condition of this man and he's releasing them from the bondage of a a dark, evil power by making him his child. What about the next miracle? Remember the man with the withered hand and Jesus asked, the enemy's there he says is this a day to save life or to destroy it doesn't that seem a bit of a heavy question to ask when you're just thinking about a hand being like you know saving a life or destroying life you know so it has a i think jesus saying this is a, a bigger thing than what you're seeing going on here to save a life would be to rescue a life if someone was drowning and you reached down and you pulled them out of the water you would have saved their life. You would have rescued them. If you turned your back and walked away, they would have drowned and died. You would have destroyed their life. Or if you'd left them to rot in a prison, you would waste their life and destroy it. So there's a lot bigger issues going on here than just the hand. There's something, there's something behind that. What about Luke's account of the woman who was bent doubled? So in this account, Luke gets very explicit with the words he's using. She's been held captive by a spirit of infirmity, he says. And isn't it right that she be released on the the Sabbath day? So here he's using those words, captive and released. And I think this, all these three miracles demonstrate that Jesus' mission is of release and rescue and deliverance. His mission is for salvation. And he has come to free them from dark oppressive forces like the sin which binds them and the entities behind that darkness which oppose him. So who, who are these enemies of Jesus? Well, in these accounts, the agents of opposition are all the, the Bible teachers, the, the, the uh, scholars of the day, the, the religious leaders. And in all four of these accounts, they didn't go in, the, in John's Gospel to the, to the fifth chapter, but even there they show up on the Sabbath day again to oppose Jesus. And they're acting like the jailers. They're keeping people in bondage. They don't want them to come to Jesus to be healed on that day or whenever. So they always oppose Jesus. But I think they are serving a more sinister master, a darker power, And Luke calls him by name in that account of the healing of the woman when he says Satan has bound her for 18 years. Jesus says that these jailers, these people that were seeking to prevent these miracles were acting on behalf of their father, the devil. Now, that's pretty strong, but Jesus is speaking to these same people in John chapter eight when he says to them, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is the one who binds us. He's bound all of humanity. The liar has deceived the people of the world, with a powerful delusion. what is that delusion? He's deceived us by, think, by having us believe that we are free, that we don't need any salvation. We're good enough. All we have to do is live right and we'll be okay. We can choose to do whatever we want in our backyard. Doesn't matter. You're, you're free. You don't have to worry about that. But when we get to the end of our leash, we find out that that wasn't true. There's a deception involved. There's, at the end, there's nothing but waste, futility, vanity of vanity, as this preacher in Ecclesiastes say. There's nothing there. No purpose, no life, only death. And we are all slaves of that sin, that power, that deception, the one who binds us. We could illustrate that by looking at the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He had it all. He had the riches. But he was aware, there's something I might be missing. So I'm going to go ask Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, cut the leash. Let go of those riches. They're holding you back. They're keeping you in prison. They're binding you. Just get rid of them. The man takes a moment. He weighs the choices. Life with riches, life with Jesus. Uh, No, I think I'll go with the riches. I think that has the most promise of giving me fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And that's where I'm going to go. And he turns away and leaves. And Jesus is very sad. Because he realizes that at the end of that man's life, these riches will be nothing. And he'll be totally devastated. So Jesus was offering him real life. But he was bound by the belief that he had enough in his own life. So who is going to set us free? Well, if we've been deceived, it makes sense that the one who is true will bring bring us freedom. And John even says the truth will make us free. And who is this one that is true? No other than Jesus himself, the one who is true. He's the way. He is the life. And he is the one who will make us free. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul writes, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how does Jesus accomplish his rescue mission? What does he have to do in order to bring us freedom and release? Paul writes to the Galatians, and I, I recommend you read the book of Galatians after this if you want to get more fuller idea. That and Romans, just read them both. But I can't read them all this morning. But here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and in verse 22, we read, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus took on himself that curse. He removed it from us. He purchased our freedom, our redemption with his blood. By coming to him in trust and in faith, he releases us. He heals us. So what do we need to do? So we need to come to Jesus. Just like all of these people ended up in front of Jesus, so we need to be in front of Jesus. We need to recognize that we are at the end of our rope. The end of our lease. There's nothing we can do to escape. We have to give up our efforts of trying to do that. It's not going to get us anywhere. And and the metaphor is further expanded in, in later in the scriptures when the idea that we have to sort of die because once you're dead, you're no longer bound by anything, right? So we have to die to this sin. But how do we do that? You know, that's not literal in the sense that we physically die. But we have to come to the end of ourselves and we have to give up our, our own life. We have to turn our life to Jesus. And, and in a sense, we die with Jesus as he is crucified on the cross. And then we can be raised to new life. We can be transformed. We can be healed and set free in the power of the resurrection that he has. So Paul explains it this way in, again in Romans chapter 6, verses 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Thank you for that song. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This uh, reminded me of a movie that I watched recently on the life of Harriet Tubman. I don't know if you've known that. It's on Netflix if you want to watch Harriet. It's kind of, I thought it was an interesting movie. But Harriet was born a slave in Maryland, I believe. And she was mistreated by her slave owner. And she desperately wanted freedom. So she set out to, to escape. The only problem was they chased after her, right? And they came, and she was trapped. Here she was trying to escape, but her captors were on one end of a bridge and, and the other end of the bridge. At least this is how the movie portrayed it. I don't think this was quite the real life thing, but it was good in the movie. And and so she's in the middle of this bridge, and her captors are moving in on either side to get it. There's no way she's going to escape them. So she looks over the edge of the bridge, and down beneath the bridge is a fast-running river full of rapids and strong currents and white water. You know, jump in there and it's game over. But she looks at her captors and she sees them coming and she says, I will either have death or freedom. And she throws herself off the bridge into the raging water below. Well, that river carries her actually to freedom. She almost drowns, but she makes it. And she's washed up on a shore And she makes her way to Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. And once she crosses into Pennsylvania, she's in a free state and she's now free. She went through death to join to gain freedom. It's a picture of what we have to do. We have to cast ourselves into Jesus. We have to die to ourselves and we have to let him bring us through to that route of escape. We cannot free ourselves. Jesus has that key. So we're free. What do we do with our freedom? I think we have at least, I think, three choices. So we've been let off our leash. What are we going to do in the backyard now? What are we going to do with our freedom? So there's three choices, uh, I think. One is to turn back or just keep doing what we always did. You know, trying to live a good life, obey a bunch of rules. Keep trying to pretend that we are good enough. We can do it ourselves. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't let the leash get put back on. What's another choice? Well, we're free. We've got the whole backyard and we can go beyond. We can do whatever we want. We can just lie here and relax or we can go off wherever we want and do whatever we want. And Paul says, no, that's not a good choice. He says in Galatians 5.13, he says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Although we've been freed from sin, we still have that nature to sin. And he says, don't, don't use your freedom to indulge that nature. So what should we do? Paul says in the same verse, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We're to live a life of loving service. And we we love the one who liberated us. That's the one who we want to show our love to. We want to get to know him. We want to spend time with him. We want to be with him. We want to follow him. We also want to love those around us who we can also show his love. Back to Harriet Tubman's uh, life. Harriet was safe in Philadelphia. She had made it. She could have stayed there and, you know, lived the life of freedom. But Harriet did something very, very brave. She went back, but not to be a slave. She went back into slave territory so that she could help other people escape slavery. And she didn't do that once. She did many trips in and brought many people out of slavery. So she was willing to invade the enemy territory to help people come out of that slavery back to freedom and i think that's a picture of something that we can do too we can be invaders of enemy territory helping people to see that their need is a need of uh, truth and they need to be delivered from their bondage even though they don't even know their bondage it's interesting that her enemies and her friends gave harriet the same nickname they called her moses (laughs) and as she led people to freedom that was the name that stuck and so we, we too need to use our freedom to build God's kingdom, bringing people the news of release, building people up, helping each other grow in our free state to learn to do what the Lord wants us to do. So let's uh, close at that time and we'll just have the team bring up another song. Thank you very much. And I ask uh close in prayer at the end. Heavenly Father, we thank you.
1: Indeed. You are good. May your goodness, your life, the freedom from slavery to sin, the forgiveness that we have received, may your very person empower each one of us to be messengers, messengers of your goodness, your love, that we may go forth from this place Realizing that there are many who, for them, life is not good right now. Life is sad, full of grief, discouragement. And so, Lord, we thank you that you rule above and that we can be messengers of your goodness and your grace and the proclamation of your Son, the freedom found in him. Bless us as we separate. Take us home safely. And may this be a week of change so that we may walk in the freedom of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.